Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Your favorite paint-related podcast hosted by two people, one male, one female. You know it's Paint Radio. I'm Andrew. Emily, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Do you think I, I'm good? It's uh, we're recording this a on a Monday. Time. That's why you're in such a good mood. <laughs> Daily gratefulness. <laughs> we're recording this on a Monday morning. Um, look, I like my job. I love my job. But let's face it, I'm not always a big fan of Monday mornings. But doing a mission vacation podcast first thing Monday morning. That is the elixir for Monday Morning Blues, Paint Radio, Season 2, Episode 6 of Mission Vacation. Mission Vacation, our uh, cornerstone editorial enterprise at American Painting Contractor, with the goal of trying to help contractors build better business structures in their companies so that they can achieve more while working, perhaps while working less, certainly by working smarter and not harder. Uh, it's our second season, last season, Dustin Zupanzik. If this is the first time you've listened to a, to a Mission Vacation podcast, definitely go back and listen to the previous podcast. But as you should know, our lucky winner of season two is Eric Crane of Always Painting in northern Minnesota. Eric, sir, how are you doing this Monday morning? Uh, better than I deserve. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I like that attitude, that that servant leadership attitude. That's uh, that's why Eric is a fabulous candidate for Mission Vacation. Want to also thank our wonderful sponsors. Couldn't do it without them. Graco at the top, making Mission Vacation possible. We've also got Frog Tape and Arrowworthy and Sandbox Zero. And this specific podcast, episode six, sponsored by Frog Tape, and we're going to talk with them a bit later. I mentioned Graco. Man, we're excited. There's a Graco Listen and Win contest this year where you can win an airless sprayer with the Blue Link technology. It's tremendous. All you have to do is enter the code, go to paintmag.com, go to the Mission Vacation session section, look for the Graco tab, Graco Listen and Win contest. The password today is control. You've got control. Use it. Enter control into the contest page, bam, you're entered to win that puppy. You've got 19 chances to win. That's how many editorial features we've got between the articles and the podcasts. You could win it. You could do it. Thank you, Graco, for sponsoring that. Emily, we also have something um, from our wonderful sponsor, Sandbox Zero, sandboxzero.net. They have a tremendous benefit for APC podcast listeners. Anybody can click on the Sandbox Zero logo at the Mission Vacation page at paintmag.com, and you can get a free one-hour consultation with Sandbox Zero. Just go. Enter to win a Graco sprayer and, and take advantage of your free consultation with Sandbox Zero, sandboxzero.net. Of course, we also have to mention Nolan Consulting Group, our partner through all of these Mission Vacation podcasts. We talk to Brian Nolan all the time. He's wonderful. But this season, we love that we get to know more of his team members because that's what Mission Vacation is all about, building better structures. Brian Nolan doesn't just walk the walk. He talks the talk. He's got a tremendous leadership team. And so today, we're going to finally talk with Andrew Amrine. He's one of the business coaches at Nolan Consulting Group. His specialty is finances. He's been mentioned many times on these podcasts. And let's be honest, when people say, man, Eric, you, you know, you've been working with Andrew. He's such a whiz with finances. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like that there's a little confusion. People think, huh, are they talking about Andrew Dwyer? He never struck me as somebody who's very good with numbers, but whatever. I guess he is. No, it's <laughs> not me. Not. <laughs> it's it's Andrew Amrine. Andrew, welcome to Paint Radio. How are you? Hey, I'm wonderful. It's great to be here. I, I like Eric's answer. I'm better than I should be. I, I like that. I'm going with that one. Attitude of gratitude. That's, uh, that's the that's key. It. That's, it's one of the keys. That's for sure. So, in episode five, we covered a lot of good ground. Eric talked about vision casting, talking about what his vision was for this uh, re-engineered always painting and the importance of communicating that vision, not just with the leadership team, but with the entire company, moving from a culture of me to a culture of we, really working on the, the management aspect of communicating the vision. Today, we're going to talk at length and in-depth about the financial aspect, 
Eric has has acknowledged, and a big part of this is, you know, you got to know your strengths, but you got to know your weaknesses as well. Eric is very forthcoming talking about how, man, we don't we don't have the budgeting that we need. We don't have the financial uh, awareness of our numbers that we need. We got to we got to fix that. We got to change that. So that's why Andrew's with us today. That's what we're going to talk about. But Eric, vision casting, talking with the the company and, and your leadership team. How has that gone? Where would you say you are in that process as far as you sharing your vision with the company and them not just understanding it, but embracing it? Uh, yeah, so I've shared the vision uh, with everybody in the team other than just a few new hires lately. Um, I think it's gone gone very well. Um, I had to tap into my inner Brian Nolan and get excited a few times and, and uh, put my arms up in the air and show enthusiasm, which I usually don't do. But I think the guys are excited. They can kind of see the path from uh, just being stuck at, at one role in this company to there's there's opportunity to to move up whether it's within this company or maybe years down the road to branch out into other other areas of the state or even other states so um, I think everybody's excited so Eric one thing you brought up uh, I believe it was last time was a really interesting conversation that you had you know because we're talking about delegation and empowering people and that kind of thing and and someone had called you and said that they needed to switch from two inch tape to one and a half. And after a discussion about empowerment, I think you were you were frustrated with that that call. But you also said that that you you failed on that on that call. How are you how are you like learning to deal with stuff like that? Small minutia, things that you want other people to make decisions and take ownership on. Um, how are you changing the way you you have those conversations? Yeah. Um, so with a few guys, especially the crew leaders and different things like that, um, I've pulled a few of them to the side and, you know, basically I've given them permission to fail, which sounds sounds crazy. But I think that's that's one of the things that holds at least my guys back a little bit. They're they're afraid to make mistakes. And it's not because I'm, I'm a guy who blows up and yells at them. It's it's that they do care about the project and and clients and stuff like that. And they, they just don't want to make the wrong decision, but we've been talking that we are a team, you know, and if we, if we fail, if one individual fails, it's not just on him, it's on all of us. And we all come together to, to fix it. Um, so I guess another thing that I've been doing is just asking, asking questions right back to him. Um, is it okay if we use two inch tape? I'm like, ask that question to your, to yourself. And do you, you have a good answer that it's going to benefit the whole team, then you don't need to necessarily ask me those questions anymore. It's so easy to underestimate the power of failure. Are you, has anybody failed? Uh, yeah. So here's a, here's a very expensive fail this uh, last week. We, we do pre-finishing in our shop and we always have sample board and handed the sample board to the guy. And I said, I'll make sure that this matches. Like, and I had some estimates to do and I wouldn't be back around till two thirty. and I came back and their eyes were all really big. And I'm like, well, what, what's going on? And they're like, it doesn't match. And my first question was, well, what have you been doing for six hours? And they're like, no, we stained it all. And I'm like, oh no, really? So we've been oh. dealing with that, which it's a big one. It's, it's a lot of money. Um, but there's, there's options there. So now instead of losing it, I'm like, okay, where did we fail in communication? How can we get better? And then, all right, how can we come together as a team? And we might all be putting this on our, on our Facebook pages, our, you know, who's listening on Craigslist. We're going to come together because he's a, he's a key guy in our team. He just got lazy that day or just kind of spaced it, which that, that affects all of us. That's, pay raises, that's bonuses, you know, when you make big mistakes like that, that impacts everybody in the team. So instead of just leaving him out on an island or some companies might have just fired him. So we're, we're trying to come together as a team to make little issues to big issues. Um, we just take care of them in-house. Wow. Do you think he learned, uh, do, you, do you think he was like, oh, whatever, yeah. or do you think he learned a really important lesson there? Yeah, yeah, no, he, I don't think he'll ever not look at a sample. 
but yeah, I think I think it just sets a big precedent of um, how we're moving forward in this team, you know. And and of course, you you still have to take the things of writing them up, and because if he didn't learn, it, it cannot become a a thing that he's that he continues to do. But he's been with us for I think at least eight years, so this is not a something he does on a regular basis. So I think it's so incredibly important as a manager or even as a new manager really stepping into leadership roles, it's very easy to overreact in the moment. As leaders, we, we make a lot of decisions with incomplete information, and so we're used to that. And when you're in a situation like this, it's very difficult, but it's a, it's a must to pull back and look at the person in the entirety of their experience. Is this a one-time thing or is this a pattern? And for this individual, Eric, you and I talked about this. This was, this was a one-time thing. It was out of character. And so as a leader, you've really got to step back and control your emotions and look at it. Is it worth losing a 20 year guy or a very experienced person or a great asset to our culture over? Okay, it was a big mistake, but look at the bigger success of how much loyalty you're going to gain on your team. And certainly in my experience, being an employee, um, maybe more so in, in the past, but, you know, employees go home and they have lots of influences outside of work that say lots of negative things. You're you're just making the boss rich. You're making other people are making money. You know, your boss doesn't appreciate you. People have head trash. I, you know, I have a little bit of that experience in my background. And so you're you're fighting not just what's actually happening in the moment, but you've got to be aware that that the context outside of work. You're also earning the loyalty of your team and everybody around in your team is going to see, wow, he like they worked through it and he didn't get fired. Huh? I guess it is okay to make mistakes. That is that's so important. And what I would encourage managers and leaders to do is is honestly make lists of of your people. What what successes have they had and go back and and look at those successes so that you stay in balance when your team does make mistakes. You can see they've, they've got a long list of successes. And sure, this was a big mistake, but I'm not going to sacrifice all these wins and successes for this one mistake. Man, that's that is great, great advice. Um, and when you talked about when Emily first brought up this this line of, uh, of discussion about, you know, Eric, one of your employees asked you if he should use one and a half or two inch tape. Emily and I had a boss, an owner who had a who had a a rule, a policy that was like, if you bring me a question, you also have to tell me your preferred or your suggestion for a solution. We may or may not go with it, but I, I need to hear suggestions from you. And I thought that was a tremendous concept because don't just rely on me to fix your problems. It's good to ask the question, but you also have to give it some thought. Uh, I think that's that's great advice. Um, but let's also take a moment to because, you know, the point of Mission Vacation is follow along one contractor, in this case, Eric. But the point is also to allow listeners, fellow contractors, the ability to really work alongside the shadow, Eric, and the and the good folks at Nolan Consulting as these contractors take a look at them, their own businesses and themselves. So let's, to Andrew, that, you know, at, at mm-hmm. Nolan, you, you, you cater and you, well, you craft every plan specifically to the contractor. But That's there is right. a process that, that, that you follow. So I'm going to take a, a rough stab at sort of identifying that process, and then you can you can fill sure. in the blanks and, and correct things. But I, it sounds like the, the first thing that you guys do is really get to know the contractor and understand that person's personal strengths and, and weaknesses, for lack of a better term, You know what they're good at and where they might need help at. Um, talk about their businesses, what their vision is, for their business, what they consider success to be. Um, talk about, you know, where they think they're successful and, and where they're failing. Um, and then try to figure out, okay, this is where the business could be improved. Does that area of need match with the contractor's area of strength? Do they need to hire someone new? Do they need to give someone else expanded responsibilities? Or, you know, this feels like it's in your wheelhouse, Johnny contractor. Um, you need to start doing more of this. And maybe delegate elsewhere, uh, and then you identify what we're calling what you call the rocks, two, mm-hmm. three, four okay. rocks, major initiatives that a contractor needs to uh, 
attack in in their business uh, and you you tackle those one by one. Um, for example, today the rock that we're going to talk about is financials. Is that a decent description of the process, <laughs> or did I absolutely butcher it? No, that was great. That was great. The only the only thing I would add there uh, that I would add maybe um, is that we also want to ask what's right for the business. Um, you know, a lot of owners are good at sales, but time usually comes for when it's appropriate for the business for the owner to get out of sales. So it's it we're certainly looking at what are the owner's strengths, what are the owner's challenges, trying to shore up the challenges. But we're all in terms of roles, we're also asking what does the business need at this point. Um, sometimes owners, it's time for owners to let go of something that they're really good at. Um, you know, it's it's usually a growth-based thing. The, the the business is now larger and need needs more management support and vision leadership, and the owner needs to spend more time visioning and leading. So that that can be a tough transition too. Speaking of transition, as I always like to say, this is what they call a bad segue in the radio business, which is why I do podcasting instead of radio. (laughs) I mentioned that this specific podcast is sponsored by Frog Tape. I'm so excited anytime I get to talk to the good folks at Frog Tape. Today, we're joined by longtime friend, not only of APC, but of paint radio specifically. From Frog Tape is Patty Laporte, Director of Product marketing. I love working with Frog Tape, Patty, because you guys, not only do you have so many products, man, your staff consists of tremendous people. You've got a lot of ideas. You've got a lot of energy and enthusiasm. I love to partner with Frog Tape anytime we can. What did you want to talk to the contractors about today, Patty? Well, thank you, Andrew, for those kind words. The Frog Tape brand is happy to be sponsoring Mission Vacation again this year and supporting contractors in their efforts to grow their business. The brand was built on the premise of making the painting process easier for pros to provide them with high quality products that ensure professional results. With that in mind, we've expanded our product offering to include Frog Tape Pro Grade Orange Painters Tape, which is our premium offering within the production grade painters tape category. Pro Grade Orange is the same as our original orange painters tape now positioned under the Frog Tape brand. When contractors think of Frog Tape, they likely think of our green multi-surface painter's tape that revolutionized painting, delivering super sharp paint lines with patented paint block technology. Frog Tape brand has evolved from this single product to a variety of solutions that make a pro's job easier. Frog Tape Pro Grade Orange provides superior performance as a production grade painting tape. It sticks better than beige tape, particularly in hot and humid conditions, and to many non-smooth exterior surfaces such as stucco. And it removes without shredding, making it the only production painting tape good enough to be frog tape. Contractors use a frog tape product, they know they are getting a solution that will save them time and money in the long run. Tapes that are treated with paint block technology deliver super sharp paint lines, eliminating the need for costly touch-ups. These products make pros more efficient on the job and are particularly useful for less experienced painters in ensuring a professional job the first time around. Added to our paint block lineup is Frog Tape Pro Grade Blue, which provides frog tape performance at a price pros will love, making it their go-to blue tape for all aspects of a job. This product is available exclusively in contractor multi-packs, delivers 14-day clean removal, and of course, super sharp paint lines. No matter what painting job is up next, Frog Tape has a tape solution to help pros maximize efficiencies, delivering the best painting experience every time. I love it. Pro-grade orange, pro-grade blue. Patty, what website should contractors go to to learn more? They can go to frogtape.com backslash contractors to learn more about all the products we offer that are going to help them on the job. Pro-grade, that's what you get from Frog Tape, pro-grade orange, pro-grade blue. Absolutely love it. Thank you for being a returning sponsor to Mission Vacation. We could not do it without our vendors. Absolutely love Frog Tape. Thank you so much, Andrew. Appreciate it. Eric, back to you. We talked about how uh, in this podcast, one of the rocks that you've uh, identified is to improve your financials. So before we get into that, just give us a brief description how you would describe the status of your financials uh, before mission vacation, meaning did you have a budget? What type of a budget budget did you have? To what extent did you track your numbers? That type of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it was pretty, 
um, basic, uh, basically all I, I was worried about was that the bills got paid, employees got paid, um, tax man was happy, um, didn't take all of the profit, um, <laughs> and that hopefully there was some left for, for, for myself every year, which sounds crazy, but I think a lot of us business guys or painters, especially if we have employees, um, that's kind of how we, we do it. We got to make sure the guys are, are paid and the bills, otherwise the doors close. And, and, uh, you know, I'd always look at, um, how much is owed in our QuickBooks, um, versus what's in our bank account. And it seemed like I was always in a state of, uh, stress and, and almost some, sometimes panic, um, worried that, that the ship was going down, even though you'd look at the end of the year and, and we actually had a really good year. So not not a very good budgeting plan. Hey, Eric, can I ask a question? And you may answer this or not answer this. Um, but did you have you always paid yourself a salary? Uh, not always. I probably five, four or five years ago, um, I started paying myself a salary. Otherwise, it was um, basically just as needed when bills were where my personal bills were there, we would hopefully have enough left in the business account to transfer over to personal accounts. And we used to do it that way, which is that's a horrible way to do things. So at least four years ago, we started with a somewhat of a, a salary and then um, shareholder distributions after that and kind of try to figure out monthly what I should be taking there as well. Okay. Well, so that's, that's very good recap they think of, of where your financials were so um so how did your your calls with with andrew go what'd you learn oh i think i'm still learning um dissecting a lot of of stuff that he has to say i know he's been working with sarah too and um she is finally back in the office this is her first day um back here uh to start getting things going so we're going to be starting um weekly um, financial meetings and then monthly like budget meetings, uh, which, which I think is going to be phenomenal because I was talking to somebody else on the team. Uh, it's like the numbers are going to give us like our orders, like mm-hmm. what we need to achieve this month. If we need to hire people, if we need to cut back, if I'm underestimating, if the guys are underperforming or overperforming, um, if we need to give bonuses, it, it, it's just going to kind of give all of us um, direction and which sounds crazy that the numbers are going to do that, but that's, that's why they were one of the most important things to me in the beginning of, of all of this, just trying to get a hold on those. Wow. Andrew, what was the first thing that you looked at when, like, what was the first step in this kind of financial journey? Sure. So I, I think the first thing we did was, was a cookbook, uh, in terms of financials. Once, once I, got to know Eric and his vision. I read the vision that Brian wrote. We really sat down and, and did what we call cookbooking. And that is if, if we throw, throw a goal out, throw a dart on the dartboard and say, here's our goal, whether it was, you know, one and a half million or whatever the goal was, um, how are we actually going to achieve that? So if we make an assumption about revenue per hour, some, some numbers, one of the KPIs or key performance indicators we look at is, is how much revenue per hour is your team bringing in per man hour is your team bringing in um, and then just dividing it down into if, if we're going to achieve this revenue it's going to require this many people and you know I, I think the first time we did it, it it made a lot of sense some sometimes it's very different from what the owner was expecting or the person we're working with was expecting I think more often than not um, the people that are succeeding have figured it out. We're just putting it on paper. And then, you know, Eric, I, I think we, I don't know how you felt about it, but, you know, seeing it on paper is usually pretty awesome is that I can get this out of my head um, and now communicate it to other people. Um, so I'm curious. So basically what you're doing is, is that you're looking at the vision, right? You're looking at where you want to be. You're looking at what's happening right now. What are our production rates? How are we? How much? How much are we producing in a single hour? And then you're mapping out how to get from basically where you are to where you want to go. Yeah. So there's a lot of assumptions built in. You know, one of the things we're going to have to watch is 
are, are the assumptions we made uh, accurate? And I think when you're when you're building a budget, you know, a lot of people come to us with the the experience or 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 approach that you make a budget, you make goals, and then it sits on the shelf. And we really want to create uh, goals and a and a budget, so to speak, that's alive. And we look at it every month. And so we we get more and more comfortable making assumptions and then checking those, going out, doing the work, and then checking those assumptions. And every month, every quarter, every year, you get better and better at predicting what your company is going to do. And man, that is such a better place to be emotionally than having no idea. I mean, it, the sleepo meter goes into the green when you can predict being able to sleep uh, is much easier when you can predict your business. Man, I love that concept. <laughs> Talk about an added benefit. The, the peace of mind that comes with, you know, we all tend to avoid things that are difficult. Um, and obviously some of us do that more than others, but, but there's a lot of contractors who are just, boy, there's a lot of devil in those details and <laughs> I'd rather not know. But the, the, the actual net result of that is, just a lack of comfort. I love the concept of a sleepometer. Yeah, Andrew, nice work, man. Well, um, I think it's it's reasonable. You know, I th- I think people, you're right. I mean, well, this isn't quite right, and that number's not right, especially for somebody who's very detail driven. You know, they they see all the errors in the details, which which I'm calling assumptions, and they say, and and not just detail people, but in general, it's uncomfortable. It's yeah, this isn't worth doing. You know, it's not it's not right, so why do it? And the goal is is to get it right and get better and better and better. And so you you have to accept assumptions and, and imperfection at first uh, in order to have direction. But once people are on that path, once they have that direction and can see it, they totally get it and all the objections go away. That's the failure, right? Now you're giving yourself a little bit of room to, totally. to fail in your assumptions, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So how are how's this all being documented? What are you all because that's, you know, Eric was talking about uh, you were talking about being on on a cash basis accounting where you're looking for, um, you know, how much money came in and, and how much money do you have to pay out? Whatever's left over is left. How did you have to redo your financial work, your habits, all of that stuff to be able to actually create forecasts that you can now track? Yeah, so, you know, I look at accrual, and Andrew, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it's it's almost like a look into the future um, where cash base is looking into the past almost because you've already done the work and you're waiting for it to come in. Um, So I think for me, it's a little bit scary because I'm already planning to spend money that has not come through the company, but it's also going to give me like hope and and like you said it's going to allow me to sleep because i know it's there it's already been sold um we've budgeted for it um bills will be getting paid um not just when they come in but when the when the money comes in from the job as well um hiring a bookkeeper i think is going to be great once he told me that you know i don't need to enter numbers and i don't need to understand everything um, I just need to know the vision um, and to be able to share that and then be um, know enough to make sure we're on the right path, but hire people to do the numbers. So th- you made a really yeah. interesting point there, which is you hire you've hired a bookkeeper. So we've talked about this in the past. Sarah was the one who was handling um, a lot, almost everything in the back office. And it sounds like you've now hired a bookkeeper. This was, you know, the finances and the accounting was not something that she loved. And, you know, Andrew, the question that I was about to ask was, how mm-hmm. do you how do you even begin tackling going from a cash based accounting to accrual based accounting? Um, my guess is is that one way would be to hire a bookkeeper who already knows how to do that. Yeah, there's a there's a couple transitions that a business goes through um, as you grow. So you know one of the so one of the first things we did we did the we did the revenue cookbook that made some assumptions and outlined how many people it's going to take to achieve this, making goals more tangible. We roll that over into a PL and we we found that the chart of accounts in QuickBooks maybe wasn't quite organized. 
um, the way we would recommend it, we, the way we found to be easily understandable. It, it, the, your profit and loss fits on one page, and I can understand it in under 10 seconds. And then if, if I need more detail, I can, I can dig into the detail. So we rearrange the chart of accounts. And then with accrual basis, I can look at jobs, and I know how to job cost a job, revenue minus labor, materials, et cetera. I want to set up the P&L to be the same way so that I can job cost a month, a time frame instead of just a job. It's because I know job costing and I understand in, in most contractors in their heads, they, they understand a job cost. But when they look at their P&L, it looks completely different for any number of reasons. So we try to try to make the P&L look like a job cost. And so now we're we're costing out a time frame. A cruel basis, we're trying to as close as we can within reason match the revenue that came in that month that was accounted for versus the expenses that were incurred that match that time frame. So just like a job cost, I don't actually need the cash to understand whether a job was profitable or not. The same is also true. I don't, I don't necessarily need the cash to understand um, whether the month was profitable or not. And so what, I think Eric says it well, you know, looking at a cash basis is important, especially at a startup, cash, cash, cash. And so you, you start off going that way, that you're looking through the rear view mirror. And really, I want to what cash looks at in one question. Do, do we have enough cash to cover expenses? I actually I want to pull it apart as your business grows. I want to pull it up four or five different questions. Did, did we have profitability? What what um, achieved that profitability? Do we have the right gross profit? What did our overhead match our budget our, our budgeted goals? Then I want to ask the cash question: Are we getting paid? I want to ask another question: Do we are we do we need to hold off on some of our payables? So I want to start asking more and more questions that, in a cruel basis, lets us be a little bit more detailed on. Um, the bookkeeper, you know. I find this a lot that businesses as startups, they the owner finds a person, he or she finds a person that they trust and they're comfortable handing the numbers over to, the, the financials over to, and the business grows. And now, like like Sarah, we have an extremely talented person who's more than capable of doing the numbers, but she would be so much more valuable and the business would be so much better served if she was doing other things. So it's, it's not that she can't do the numbers. It's that the business needs her somewhere else. And she was stuck doing the numbers. And so Eric was open to it, more so than a lot of people we work with, or some people. Um, and so, yeah, we, we hired a bookkeeper who can also act as a consultant, who can bring the accounting to us, can do the work. We know the numbers are right. And then I can teach Sarah and, and Eric to be financial managers. Sarah can can be a CFO of sorts, um, and Eric can be CEO, and they have they have somebody who's who's doing the doing, who's an expert, and we can trust that it's right and it's done right. Eric, you've had a lot of conversations with Sarah about this, and that this this isn't about her not being able to do numbers, and her I think her reaction's been quite good. Yeah, yeah, no, it it has been good, and you know, like you said, that'll that'll put her into a new role. Um, part of it will be a, a financial manager because she has been doing them uh, for so long that she does have a pretty good grasp on things. Um, and I, and she's super smart. She'll be able to catch on to things that she has not been able to, but she'll be able to keep our bookkeeper on task um, and be able to have those weekly uh, meetings and monthly budget meetings. Um, if Even if I don't understand where we're at with them, she's, she's going to. So it'll be um, it'll be great to have Sarah still here, and then she'll probably take on the HR role um, full time. How did you How did you review your finances to see if you could afford a bookkeeper? Like, were you pretty confident? Did you, did you do some number crunching before that? Uh, yeah, not not really. We probably fell back into the old role, but um, it it doesn't seem to be too expensive. Um, after talking to Andrew, it, it, after she really gets dialed in, it should be maybe an hour a week to two hours. Um, so you're looking at 50 to a hundred bucks 
a week, which if we can't afford that, we're, we're definitely in trouble. So, um, so uh, I think we just kind of looked at, at it like sorry. that. I, I would mirror that, uh, that it, it is a lot less time than people think. And bookkeepers can be expensive. They can, per hour, they can be $35, $45, $55 an hour. But they're experts, and their job is, is to do the doing. Um, and so they come in, they, they get everything into QuickBooks. We know it's right. And over time, it, it takes them very little time overall to get it done. So, you know, a couple hours a week. And I, I think at this point, bookkeepers pay for themselves by by Eric and Sarah having the numbers sooner in in this new format. The bookkeeper they'll will easily in, pay for itself. In fact, they're they're gonna make money on accounting. We we need we need accounting to make us money, not be a cost center. And so by having their numbers more often, they they will be more profitable and not only pay for the bookkeeper but get a return on it. So, Eric, after these conversations with Andrew um, and implementing these changes in in uh, in your financial aspects of the business, how has that affected and changed both your budget and your goals from a financial perspective? Uh, I think it's going to increase our goals. Um, our bookkeeper's only been here a couple times. Uh, she's coming again tomorrow. Our first um, actual financial report. Uh, we're going to do on the 15th, um, which, I mean, this may sound dumb, but Andrew's like, you need to set uh, deadlines, just like you have deadlines on the job. You need to set deadlines for your your staff in the office. Um, so another thing we we're starting to do is we're, we're going to get together a like office calendar and map out every week what we're doing, when it's supposed to be done so that we can all visually see it. And I think that's going to help us as well. So um, we are right in the middle of it. I would say we're, if you want to use the hourglass thing, we're, we are right in the middle of the hourglass right now. And, and we're really starting to work through these things. Um, and hopefully two months from now, it, it, it's like second nature. It's like clockwork. It just all starting to make sense. And everybody is knowing their roles and, and the numbers are starting to give us our orders. And, and how does that change? What, what are you sharing with your team as far as um, both goals and, you know, KPIs? What, who are you sharing that with and, and how do you plan to do that? Yeah, so um, I think we're going to have monthly meeting with probably um, if when we get a production manager, obviously they'll be in on that role. Um, I think the field managers will be in a monthly meeting with us, just making sure we're hitting um, goals, but then we, we plan to share the numbers, um, with the whole team so that they, they can see if the company is growing or not. Um, and when we are growing, uh, there will be kickbacks to them or, or pay raises or, or, you know, even, even parties or vacation, like fishing trips or something. Maybe we'll go down and go bass fishing with Brian or something. I don't know. <laughs> Nice. So what is it, what exactly are you going to be sharing with them? Do you have like specific, uh, specific numbers, specific line items? What specifically do you, are, are you wanting to share? I think Andrew would be a better one to kind of answer that because we're going to be working with him on actually mapping that out, what we bring to the whole team. Yeah. So we're at, we're at the beginning stages of this. Um, so some things that I think are going to be relevant for Eric's team, you know, we've, and I'll, I'll applaud Eric for being so open to this. It can be honestly nerve wracking for a lot of people to share goals. Um, some of the easiest are, are honestly a revenue goal, you know, and, and we encounter a lot, a lot of head trash around this. I, I will say my, paying my mortgage is dependent on giving people good advice. So I, I tend to, pe- to give people proven advice and when you're sharing numbers, your team already thinks you're a millionaire. I mean, they're, remember, go back to those sort of influences that they have outside the job when they go home. They already think you're a millionaire. And so you're sharing with them that this isn't the Eric Gets Rich show or the Eric and Sarah Get Rich show. This is we're sharing the bounty with everyone. So as, as Eric talked about, sharing numbers with your team is about educating them. There are appropriate levels. Your your team may be ready or not ready for certain things. Um, 
in in sharing with them. So there is an, an appropriateness. When we say open book, I've, I've kind of stopped using that term because it's not actually open book. But when you share numbers, you're you're sharing with the team. If we hit these goals, we make a profit. You see that profit in the form of new equipment, um, new um, uh, shop or, or upgraded shop space. You see it in the form of pay for performance and company culture events. We do, we have, you know, food at meetings or we have company party. So you see those profits in lots of different ways. Um, so really the, some of the first things we say to share either hours, start, start sharing people at, with, with people total hours for the month. And where do we stand against that hours goal? I'd, I'd really rather people just share revenue. We've got a revenue goal. Everybody knows why we're here. Your team knows why we're here. It's to make money. So share the goal with them. Break it down by month and then track your progress in a what I would call a production forecast. Um, I've had some people take 12 sheets of paper, handwrite the monthly goal on it, and then every job they sell, they plug into a month. And they can project out are they going to hit their goal that month? And so their team sees that we've got work, we're booked, um, work efficiently. And who else do you know that wants to work here? Because we've got work, we've we've got a secure future. Um, so sharing revenue goals, talking about gross profit, what we sell is ours. What we happen to do with those hours is paint. Other people do landscaping. Other people do other things. So revenue per hour uh, is incredibly important, um, and you really start to see the the desire in your team grow and the and the thinkers in your business. You're starting to identify who the thinkers are. So don't worry about the people that are ignoring the numbers or aren't really affected by it. You know, there's, there's always going to be people that are falling asleep in a meeting. That's that. Don't let that stop you. The reason you're having meetings and sharing numbers is to find out who the leaders are. Otherwise, I have no way of really knowing who the leaders are. So share numbers, have meetings, find out who's paying attention, and then go spend the most time with those people. So revenue, gross profit, a revenue per hour number, and then find a way to celebrate when you hit that goal. You know, even if it's, I don't know, just um, really the, one of the best ideas I've, I've seen, be successful back to that mortgage thing, is really hot dogs and hamburgers at the shop if we hit our goal. I mean, it, it gets people together and inc- improves your culture. And, you know, again, you, you you really get to identify who the leaders are. That's what we want. Is we want to figure out who's listening. How do you diffuse that notion that, you know, because I think that, you know, a lot of the challenge that the people have in general um, with reporting revenue information is, is that it's very easy for employees to forget all of the cost that is tied in mm-hmm. to that revenue. And that's with all businesses, you know, um, how do you, do you have any suggestions for strategies for educating people that, that that revenue is not the bottom line, that revenue is the top line, then all these things are subtracted right. out of it and we end up with a number down here. And that's what the company is is profiting um thoughts yeah we have a so we have a tool we call it the cost allocation table um and it instead of you can start with revenue per hour so instead of sharing with someone a 1.5 million dollar goal that you're right might your team might not be ready for that but we can share with them for every hour that you work if we just take revenue divided by hours in the field that's let's say 60 dollars an hour and and then our our table it makes a little pie chart and we've broken down the P&L into five or six broad categories that outlines for people out of every out of that $60, um, 35% is going to labor all the way down, you know, X amount to materials, X amount for other things. And it and at the end, you know, there's five dollars left over. So share, sharing it with people on an hourly basis and what I would call cost allocation and they can see that for every hour that you work, we're bringing in $60 an hour and $6, 10%, hopefully, uh, less in the winter, more in the summer, but is left over. And everybody sees, you know, this this isn't the Eric Gets Rich show. This is 
everybody shares in their responsibility. Right. Eric, are you, how are you feeling about sharing stuff with your team? Have you shared numbers with them in the past? Is this brand new to you? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely brand new to me. Um, I, I think I'm an open book when it comes to almost any, anything in my life. Um, I think it's going to exactly paint the picture of that. It is Eric. It does not get rich. show. after all, we are a painting company. Um, and you know, I, I, they're going to see the struggles too, which, which is good. Um, you know, I've, I've shared some of the struggles with the guys where, where we might be into our line of credit and they're still getting paid and, and Eric's not. And, and those are scary moments as a, as a business owner. And, um, but they also can see that I'm, I'm still putting them first, no matter where the, where the company is. Um, and one of the guys responded really well. He's like, well, one of my other companies used to do this. I think it's a fantastic thing because then we know what we're working for. And I was like, okay, we're getting it. We're starting to understand around here. So um, that's good. I'm starting to worry a little bit that the audience is, is going to think that uh, nobody gets rich in the paint business. So I, I feel like <laughs> I might be giving the wrong impression. I, it's a fabulous industry to be in. I wouldn't be in it if I if I didn't love it. And it, and it's a great place for financial success. What what we mean by the Eric Get Rich Show is that that this is not the Eric takes advantage of everybody and enriches himself. You're to the audience out there. Your team is going to see that that they expect you to be be to be um, doing well. You're the owner. You're the one taking all the risk. They know that you're maybe making a little making more than they are. The key is to to be more specific. They're going to see that you're not taking advantage of them. That's the message they get at home, that somebody's telling them, you know, you're working for that owner and you're just making that owner rich or that owner is taking advantage of you. And you're proving to them that in sharing the numbers that you, in fact, are not taking advantage of them and enriching yourself unfairly, that you are, in fact, sharing the bounty and that you're, you want them to make as much as, as they can they can get paid. You, you want everybody to make as much as as they can including yourself. That's uh, it's a great point, Andrew, though I think everybody, everyone listening knows the quickest way to get rich is via paint podcasting. That's just obvious <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> if you could see where I'm sitting right now, man, you'd hate me. <laughs> so uh, coming to the end of our time, uh, so both of you, Eric and Andrew, what – What's next? What, uh, Eric, what are you working on um, this week and in advance of your next consulting chat with Nolan Consulting? Uh, yeah, um, I think we hit on it a little bit, trying to get those weekly financial reports going. Um, Sarah's back in the office, so I know the next two days that's going to be huge, just sitting down with her and getting her um role description mapped out for her and get her moving in that direction. She's got some catch up to do. Um, and then uh, uh, it's budgeting for maybe that project manager um, role. Um, that's, that's something we've been interviewing for already, but we want to, we want to make sure that we are uh, financially ready for that. Um, and then we are fine tuning field managers right now, um, getting them, what they need and, and, uh, just meeting with them. I've had more meetings in the last three months than I've had my whole life, um, which has been good. A lot of guys are responding very well to this. So, um, I think it's just a lot of mapping it out so that a year from now we are, we are a machine that knows where we're going and, and each, each crew member knows exactly what their role is. So there's less and less responsibility on my shoulders to keep circling back to everything. Man, amen to that. Whew, that's awesome. <laughs> Love that. He's well coached. I'm going to just put that on repeat and just listen to it all day. <laughs> just dovetailing what uh, Eric said there, dialing in um, the KPIs that they want to track, um, taking these general principles of what we talked about at the beginning, vision, budget, goals, how are we going to get there? And that the, the exciting part on our end, you know, is customizing it for what work, what's going to work for always painting and, and the team there. So dialing in the KPIs, uh, starting the flywheel. It's tough at first, but once you get it, get that flywheel going of regular meetings, uh, getting that cadence 
of reporting and, and meeting going, the flywheel keeps turning um, and it, it gets easier and easier, more and more efficient. You're, you're seeing the right numbers or good numbers every week. Um, and then it's, then as Eric says, it's letting the numbers direct us to the next step. There you go. So if you're listening to Paint Radio, if you listen occasionally, I encourage you, listen to each Mission Vacation podcast. Read the articles. Look, every painting contractor is not on the same path, obviously, but you all are on a path. You are moving forward. You need to be evolving and progressing. You can definitely implement what you're learning by listening to Eric work with the good folks at Nolan Consulting, and you can use that to uncover some some new truths about yourself and your company. Use that as impetus to, to make the changes. If you're able to hire a consultant, man, do it. If you don't think you are, follow the advice about financials, hiring a bookkeeper, taking a hard look at yourself and your team, your vision for your company. Really great, great advice. Thank you, Andrew Amrine from Nolan Consulting. Eric, Always painting in northern Minnesota. You guys are killing it. Thank you so much for sharing uh, and allowing us to listen in. Of course, thank you to Frog Tape for sponsoring today's podcast. Thanks to our other sponsors, Graco, Arrowworthy, and Sandbox. And remember, go to the Mission Vacation page at paintmag.com. Look for the Graco Listen and Win contest. Enter the password control, and you'll be entered to win that Graco Ultramax 2 electric sprayer. Great, great stuff. Thanks, Graco. Lots of resources for you at paintmag.com. Emily, stellar work as always. Enjoy this extended leave of absence from personally interacting with me. I know you're enjoying it, but it's going to come to an end sooner or later. <laughs> I realize that. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, we got to lower those expectations. That's the key to working with me. Oh Every, I'm aware. Okay, good. You've, we've done this long enough, but still, I feel the need to warn you. Have a great week, everybody. Paint Radio, like I said, the elixir to Monday blues. We love you. Keep working hard. <laughs>